creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL FM on the campus of Winona State University. Today on Culture Click, we went to the Winona County History Center to hear the Voices from the Past Cemetery Walk. They talked all about Winona's former scoundrels, scandals, and skullduggery through 10 different performance sites. I'm Riley Harris. Stick around to learn more about Winona's history on Culture Click. My name is Hal Paffrath, and I, I, my alter ego is E.D. Williams, who founded the cemetery in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 1862. And actually, he was killed in a uh, gasoline explosion in what was then called the Hop House, right over here at Kensington now. And he was killed by a gasoline explosion, and he was co-owner of the, of the hotel. The day before Halloween, 1872. So uh, he, he only lived uh, 10 years after he founded the cemetery. It wasn't only him, of course. There were other others, but he was the main, the main one. Uh, I've been basically playing him for 18 years, and uh, I've noticed that through the years, this vest gets smaller and smaller <laughs> every year. Um, if, you, um, if you have any cell phones, please turn off the ringers, and uh, we'll proceed shortly here. We, um, uh, like I said, we, had, we got rained out did anybody come to that one that we had several years ago, the Scoundrels and Scandals? Yep, we got rained out, and uh, we had a bagpiper at that time, and we still do out at the cemetery once in a while for this. That day, because it was raining all day, the bagpiper was going up and down Johnson Street, so you could hear him in here, which was kind of neat, you know. And out at the cemetery, uh, the bagpiper kind of ties the whole thing together. It's like glue. And uh, we, uh, we, I don't think we'll have him this year. But anyway, before we uh, do any, before I say anything else up here, we've got site one, which is Dorothy Hamer, who was a police investigator in the late 60s into the late 80s. Good evening. Now, women have been portraying police officers since 1956 on television but women play an important role in real police work as well. Uh, the first female police officer in Winona was Ruth Jordan. She served for two and a half years working with the newly established juvenile detention depart de department and serving as a jail matron for female prisoners. She resigned to get married and was replaced by Nada Durham. I, Dorothy Hayner, was her replacement. Now, I was born December 28, 1932, and lived most of my life in Minnesota City. After graduating from Winona Senior High School, I joined the Navy, where I met and married my husband. I resigned in 1956 after becoming pregnant with my first child. Over the next six years, I would give birth to four beautiful daughters, Kathy, Cheryl, Debbie, and Teresa. After my divorce, I moved back to Minnesota City in 1966. With five mouths to feed, I went to work for Peerless Chain as an accountant for two and a half years. When I saw that the Winona Police Department had a job posting, I jumped at the opportunity, and I was selected. I think my military service gave me a leg up. I proudly served for 20 years as a jail matron, police officer, and investigator. My first year, I mostly worked with juvenile offenders and female prisoners, but there is one incident that does stick out a jailbreak. In December 1969, a young sailor being held for going AWOL was given a hacksaw by his visitor. 
It took him six and a half hours, but he sawed through those second-story barred windows and jumped 19 feet to escape. He was apprehended the next day, and that year Winona was listed one of the safest places to live in a travel brochure. <laughs> that same year I became an advocate for halfway homes for juvenile girls. In 1971, women began getting paid the same as their male counterparts. For me, that was $698 a month plus benefits and allowances. In 1977, though, a tragic murder for hire occurred. I was an investigator on the case, and because of my work with the juvenile department, I was the one who had to tell two young girls of their mother's death. It was extremely hard, being a mother of four daughters myself. I became initial investigator for sexual assault crimes after being trained by the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, and I started self-defense classes at the local universities for young women. In, uh, for a brief time, I also served as jail matron, and when I left the job, my daughter Debbie took over. I retired in 1988, but I wouldn't have much time after that. I died October 23, 1991. I'm not buried in Woodlawn, but in Oakland Cemetery, because it's just up the hill behind my old home in Minnesota City. Today, there are eight female police officers on the force of, at the Winona Police Department today. They work alongside their brothers in blue to build trust and partnerships with the citizens that they serve. My granddaughter, Olivia, was also very proud of my service. She won accolades for her project detailing my career, and it's on display here at the Winona uh, Historical Society. Oh. Does anyone know Mrs. Burhow, who works as the counseling secretary at the middle school? She's my daughter. You can ask her about being a jail matron. Thank you for your time. Next time you see a police officer, please thank them for their service. These men and women work hard to protect and serve our community. Thank you. The, uh the site, too, also has to do with police work. This is a little different. This is the wife of James McCaffrey, who was a policeman in Winona, who had uh, very odd ways of apprehending and uh, dealing with criminals. Well, I'm glad to see that you're all organized, and I don't have to fetch my husband here. You know, he kept the peace in this fine town of Winona for over 26 years, and but you seem to be pretty settled, I guess. So my name is Mary McCaffrey, and my husband was Captain James J. McCaffrey, one of the first police officers here in Winona. He joined the force early on. It was only about four years old when he became an officer. Well, wasn't really an officer. He was a patrolman first. But back in 1898 was when he signed on. And before he became a captain, he was a regular patrolmen, they had overlapping 12-hour shifts. My gym had noon to midnight, and his beat covered from uh, Center Street to Washington and from 4th Street to the river. Now, all of those patrolmen were on foot all throughout their shift. They would check the doors of all of the stores, front and back, at least two or three times a night. And if they needed help from the station, they had to go locate a lockbox. They were down, they didn't have walkie-talkies, you know. They had to find these big metal boxes that were attached to the poles here and there downtown. 
and they'd open up the box and pick up the phone and it would go right to the police station. That was if they ever needed help. Now back then, we didn't have too much serious crime, but my Jim learned early on that if he was going to get to a crime scene right away, his feet just wouldn't be acceptable. So he went out and got himself a bicycle. He rode that bicycle everywhere. He became known as the cop on the bike. He took care of those bicycles, he maintained them, he repaired them at his own cost. He even had to replace two or three of them those first few years, and he just did it. That's exactly how he got around. The serious crimes that we had mostly had to do with drunkenness. And when the patrol officers would come along and find somebody drunk, they'd go to arrest them, they'd pick them up, put them on their feet, and march them down to the jail. Now, if somebody was way too inebriated, they would just get a wheelbarrow, and they'd chuck them into the wheelbarrow. And then they'd wheelbarrow them down to the jailhouse. Most of the time, those drunk things were not very dangerous. But every once in a while, I remember one time there was a patrolman named Cooper. I believe his name was Cooper. And my husband and patrolman Cooper were called to an address on West Howard Street. It was the home of a Patrick Mullen. Patrick Mullen. Patrick Mullen. Remember that. They got to the house and here sits Mr. Mullen on his back porch, brandishing a large caliber revolver and waving it in the air. And as the officers approached, he said, you'll never take me alive. And they got closer to the porch and he fired that revolver. And it was so close to his face that that bullet grazed his cheek right then and there. And that was just one example that Jim brought home of how strong drink and guns do not go together. <laughs> now my Jim, he was shot at a few times, but thank the good Lord, he was never hit. Most of the time when it came to guns, my Jim used his wit to take care of it. There was one time when there'd been a man peddling stolen postage stamps here in town. And Jim was on his watch and he saw the man. So he followed him and he went into a saloon over by the Northwest Depot. And once they got inside the saloon, Jim waited for the right moment. And he went over and he grabbed the man by the arm and he twisted it behind his back. And another patron in the saloon came over and grabbed his other arm. And in the tussle, my Jim noticed that the man was carrying a gun. So without the man noticing, he just slipped that gun away. And pretty soon, the man reached for his gun, but it wasn't there. So he goes, my gun, I don't have my gun. But if I had my gun, I'd kill you both. <laughs> my Jim served over 26 years in this fine town, keeping it clean. Now, the real irony of life is, seven months into his retirement, 
after keeping this town clean, he got hit by a laundry truck. Now, the accident didn't kill him, but it messed him up pretty bad. And he caught pneumonia in the hospital, and he died about a day or two later. And one of the things that I learned being married to my Jim, that's Captain James J. McCaffrey, was that the men and women who wear the badge do it to protect and serve their communities. And my husband was honored to call his community the town of Winona. Thank you. You've been listening to the Winona County History Center Cemetery Walk 2021. Do you love podcasts but crave local content? Well, now you can keep it local with KQAL Podcasts on kqal.org. Hear interviews with Minnesota bands, artists, chefs, comedians, historians, community leaders, and more. KQAL Podcasts, keeping it local on kqal.org. Also listen to KQAL on Spotify, Apple, Google, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You've been listening to the Winona County History Center Cemetery Walk 2021. I was thinking when she was talking about this wheelbarrow, does anybody know who Julian Wera is? Have you ever heard of the name? Yep. Yep. Played on the 1927 Yankees, which is arguably the best uh, baseball team in the history of major leagues. Uh, that's what they say. There are some that probably are about as good. But he played third base. He was a backup to Joe Dugan. But when he, uh, when the Yankees won the won the pennant, he had bet uh, a couple bets with some of his friends here in Winona that if he was on the World Series roster, that they were going to have to give him a ride in a wheelbarrow from the hurry back downtown to the athletic club. <laughs> and he made the roster, and I, apparently that's exactly what happened. Uh, this site three has actually been. That's one of the two. Uh, sites that have been reprised from the uh, the first part one of uh, Scandal, Scoundrels, and Skullduggery has to do with uh, prohibition, which was in effect from 1920 to, uh, I think it was actually ratified in 1919, but from 1920 to 1933. So here we have with uh, site three. Ban the booze! 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 Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Agnes Flint Holland, and this is my daughter, Marjorie. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Anti-Saloon League believed that alcohol consumption was both a cause and a consequence of large social problems. Saloons were viewed as places of vast corruption Domestic violence in the home was a real concern. During and after World War I, anti-German sentiment was prevalent. And most breweries, well, they were owned and operated by Americans of German descent, and most wanted to see them have a decrease in power and prosperity. Emma Quimby here. Now, after some years, our efforts paid off. Prohibition became the law of the land. In January 1919, Congress passed the 18th 
Amendment prohibiting the manufacture, transportation, and sale of alcohol and alcohol beverages. Some of 60 saloons were not closed. You could go to a speakeasy, the back room in a store, even a private home. You just knock on the door, say a password, and get a drink. Officials conducting raids of time, well, they found stills in basements, wood piles, and haystacks. But that didn't end the drinking, and Winona didn't stay dry for long. Folks got real good at making the home brew. They even made gin in their bathtubs. <laughs> now, homebrew was one thing, but producing and selling liquor became exceptionally profitable. 50 cents of supplies can net you $5. One to 200 legal bars open and operated in and around Winona. <laughs> Well, boy, oh boy, it sure got hard to operate a little hotel on West 2nd Street. I mean, we had to serve some liquid refreshments to keep our customers happy. But one night in March, these feds from St. Paul caught us serving a little refreshment in our place. I get rounded up, loaded on a paddy wagon, and off to jail. Well, I saw that, Kitty Burns. Just imagine. 50 feds getting on a bus in the Twin Cities and they're coming along with their wives as if this is going to be a big holiday. And when they were hauling you and your fellow partners in crime away, we good people of Winona started throwing bricks at the windows and slashing the tires. We gave them a real Winona welcome. <laughs> Mayhem. I know what you're talking about there, Harry Laska. Why, I got nailed three times and the first one was only six months, six months after this prohibition brouhaha started. Did it brouhaha? <laughs> oh, Big Moose, you're always such a character. Say, do they usually call you Anton Belusky anymore? Nah, I don't go by Anton Belusky, Big Moose. Uh, not, not so many call me that anymore, Nettie. Shoddy there. Uh, it's all coming back to me now, that first hit. It was a December night in 1919. She was cold out. Me and the wife were up in the apartment. It was above our uh, soft drink bar, the OK Saloon, we called her greetings. The, the authorities come knocking on the front door, and what does the wife do? She goes and answers it with a drink in her hand. Yeah. <laughs> Before long, they were pulling out dresser drawers, looking under beds, in the closets, got 11 gallons of whiskey out of me. And in the basement, they found all my jugs and my bottles. Oh, but Harry, they tell me you was a big time producer and so my 11 gallons wasn't nothing. Well, back in 1925, I was quite the entrepreneur. I had a cement still on the marsh by Mankato Avenue and I put hay over the top of it to keep the mash warm and the cops from seeing it. Well, it kept the mash kind of warm. Didn't help me much with the cops. I guess not. They, they got you with something like 40 gallons of moonshine whiskey, wasn't it? And, and there was 1,000 gallons waiting to be distilled. <laughs> we got raided in June of 28. The cops surrounded us in the afternoon. 
Well, my husband, Cyril, gets wind of them and he jumps right out the window. Well, leaving them to arrest me. They found the mash in our basement. Well, I had three small children and I was the one they put in jail. Well, it was just terrible. Finally, they dropped the charges against me, and dear old Cyril spent 11 months in the slammer. <laughs> well, I heard the reason that the Fed spent so much time here in Winona was that year James Doran was made the top prohibition official in the nation. Well, he took a little trip to Winona and was appalled at the rampant lawlessness. Well, in the next 18 months, there were more arrests than there had been in the entire decade before. It didn't take long for us social drinking Winonans to get totally fed up with that prohibition nonsense. Yeah, yeah, back in 1932, the mayor of Winona led an anti-prohibition parade through the streets of downtown. Yeah, well, Winona was just spawning with big-time gangsters. <laughs> well, you know, folks like us deserve to have a little nip once in a while when we want it. Or even just to serve a little refreshment to our guests. I say we ring the liberty bell. Strike <laughs> a blow for liberty. Here is to Winona and an end to this cursed prohibition. Oh. Winona's had initially been in favor of prohibition. Not these Winonas. <laughs> but after 13 years, they became disillusioned with it. They saw a decrease in the economy and an increase in crime throughout the country. Over 200 Winonans were sent to federal prison between 1919 and should be, maybe. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes. Uh, this is by W.C. Fields. I, brought, I wrote it out so that I would not miss a word of it, and you probably can't see it from there. He said, once during Prohibition, I was forced to live for days on nothing but food and water. <laughs> Next we have site four, which is petty crimes. Why, John Maychek. You old reprobate. Imagine meeting you here. <laughs> Judge Libera. How you doing? Uh, 
just visiting Clarence, although he's out for a walk himself uh -huh. right now. You remember Clarence Emke, sir. This is his missus, oh, well, former wife, I guess, Ethel, Ethel Emke Nelton. Hello, Judge Libra. I remember Clarence appeared before you several times. Several times? He was a regular in my courtroom. You too, mate, Jack. Matter of fact, you guys were there so often, I should have been on your Christmas card list. <laughs> you and I did see each other on a regular basis. Oh, yes, real regular. Unfortunately, most of it was not too serious. Petty crimes. Yes, sir. My crimes weren't all that serious compared to some others. I mean, I never robbed a bank or killed anybody or anything. No, you never did that. <laughs> Most of the stuff you were up to was uh, petty theft, uh, whatever. It was Depression era, petty theft. Uh, things like on the order of riding a bike down the sidewalk or, or that crazy lady that was... Uh, Running up and down the street, buck naked in the middle of the summer. I never did that, Judge. No, you didn't. And, you know, the whole world is glad that you didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, it, was, it was the 30s, and people were tending to get a little bit light-fingered. Food. People were swiping food. Matter of fact, uh, that was one of your specialties. What were some of the odd items that you picked on? Well, let me see. Uh, oh, yeah, MP and I and two other gents broke into that Chicago Great Western and Railroad car. We made off with 24 cans of cherries. They could have gotten up to 10 years in the pen for that one. Well, it was more than just the cherries. Probably had a little to do with the uh, 25 priors you had uh, going into that. Yeah, who's counting, right? Well, and then there was that small matter that uh, you'd just been let out after doing six months that uh, Finkelberg sent you up for on, uh, what was that one? I remember that one. <laughs> you and Clarence stealing chickens. We made off with 53 chickens from the Bamanac Poultry House. Yeah, I got caught five-fingering some other things over the years. Uh, garden hose from someone's front yard. A fireless cooker from a house I just walked right into. Yeah, well, a goodly number of the things you got involved with had to do with alcohol. Both drinking it and um, making it? Yeah, some of the charges were for making moonshine during the prohibition years. I ran a basement bar called John's Place. You see, I was a fisherman, and in the cold months when I could only fish on and off, well, I had a wife and nine children to support. That's why I stole those things, too. When I married Clarence, I was a newly widowed woman of 23 years of age with two small children. I thought Clarence would support us. We had four of our own. Couldn't much support us when he was in jail, now could he? Uh, we didn't always make the best decisions when we'd been drinking. You know, I remember when he pled guilty to stealing those cherries. First degree larceny, that one was. I'd had it. My youngest was 16, and I figured we could do just as well on our own. So six months later, I divorced Clarence while he was in the Stillwater pen. Yeah, We'd well, been married 20 years. Yeah, well, those were tough times, but everything you were up to wasn't all that innocent. Uh, there were a number of assault charges, too. Yes, sir. I'm afraid there were. Not proud of those. No, I am not. 
And then I started seeing your two boys um, showing up on a regular basis. Yes, sir. Not your James, though. I remember Clarence died in March of 44. It was just a little over a month after that your son James was injured in the war. The, the Italian campaign. Yes, ma'am. Gave him a purple heart for that, they did. Then he died a month later in a hospital in North Africa. You know, I may not have always been there for my kids or was the best example for them, but I loved them. I loved them kids. Well, of course you did, John. And Clarence loved our six, the four we had together and the two he took on when he married me. Well, I loved my kids, too, all four of them. And here we are. Our lives are past. What's done is done. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Coincidentally, John, you know, you and I uh, went through the pearly gates just, what, about a few months apart? Uh, that was in 69. Yeah. Yeah, you were in that, uh, yeah, your kitchen stove blew up and fire. Oh, jeez. Meet that botch surgery. Oh, well. Our lives are past. What's done is done. Ah, yeah. What's done is done. And, uh, and I gotta go. Thanks again to the Winona County History Center for giving us more insight into Winona's scoundrels, scandals, and skullduggery today on Culture Click. Tune in next week to hear part two from the Cemetery Walk. To keep up on all things Winona and the surrounding area, tune in to Culture Click Thursdays at 1230 right here on 89.5 KQAL. I'm Briley Harris, and we've been talking all about Winona's voices from the past. Cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click.